Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Start a new series. If you're taking notes today, uh, the series is going to be told, uh, titled Fruitful. Fruitful. I was praying uh, the last two weeks, and I really just felt like this was kind of a word from God for our community. I believe it's a word for the body of Christ, that God doesn't just want us to exist. He wants us to be fruitful. Purpose of life isn't just to have a carbon footprint for 80 or 90 years, to suck oxygen, maybe make a paycheck, maybe buy a home that has two or three bedrooms with a walk-in closet, maybe a white fence, a dog named, come on, Spike, a fish named Bruce, come on. Fish are friends, not food, Amen. And uh, maybe retire and play golf the last 20 years of your life. I think there's more to life than just existing. I think that, you know, Jesus says in John 15 that by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And there's a lot of people that aren't really fulfilling, you know, a fruitful life. And I don't think fruitfulness is determined by how much money you make or how successful you are in your vocation. I think fruitfulness is actually directly connected to living out what God created you for. I know people that make lots of money that are miserable because, you know, they're, they're in business, but they were called to be a full-time pastor. And I know, I know miserable pastors because they're in full-time ministry and they're called to be in business full-time. My grandma was in ministry for 70 years and she used to say, Mark, there's a lot of miserable farmers that are called to be preachers and there's a lot of miserable preachers that are called to be farmers. And I think that success is actually doing what God made you to do with the greatest level of commitment possible. And uh, if you're taking notes, uh, to be fruitful literally means to produce good results. It means beneficial or profitable. Who likes profitable investments? Three people. Come on, God bless those three people, Lord, today with some profitable investments. It means abounding in fruit, producing abundant fruit. My friend Joe is very kind. He dropped off the last two weeks. He has an orange tree and a lemon tree, which I'm believing God for in my backyard one day. But he has an orange tree and a lemon tree that are producing so much fruit that his family actually can't eat all of it. And it's so fruitful that he's actually having to fill up grocery sacks and give it to friends in the church and friends in the neighborhood because that tree is so fruitful that it actually takes care not only of his household needs but of the needs of other people. When talking about being blessed, blessed is not the idea that God's going to give you a Rolls Royce and a 75,000 square foot house and you're going to have a TV show on TBN. Come on. This is, not, this is not being blessed. Being blessed means that you actually have more than you need so you can actually take care of the needs of people around you. And whenever you don't think God wants to take care of you, it's a selfish worldview. We go, well, I don't really care if I ever have anything nice or if God ever takes care of me. I'm glad that you have your needs met, but what about, the, what about like the 7 billion people in the world that don't have the opportunities you have to make a good living, to actually do more than you need so you can take care of the needs of other nations? I'm glad that you have a happy life, but what about the millions of people that don't have happy lives? So that's why I think God wants to take care of us at a high way. And everyone said amen. So uh, this morning, if you have your Bible, uh, I'm going to read a familiar passage, and um, it's really wrestling this week. It's... It's hard, you know, I'm a Lakers fan. I've looked up to Kobe Bryant my whole life, so I know that I'm with most of the world right now in mourning the loss of a really well-loved athlete and celebrity. And, and I know it was hard for it hit home for most. I actually was finishing up the second service. I still had to speak the third service 
uh, when I heard the news last week. And it's just crazy. There's pain in the world. There's suffering. There's, there's unexplainable happenings. And, you know, as a pastor, if I'm being really honest, when you're studying every week, it's like, God, I could talk about anything. Um, what, what, what do you talk about that actually has the ability to help people that are struggling in their marriages, help people that are struggling with their faith, people that are physically struggling with their health? Like, what do you, what do you talk about when there's so many things to address? And God brought me to this idea that being fruitful in life is connected to being connected to the Father connected to the Father. So I want to talk about family the next uh, three or four weeks out of this idea of fruitful. And we're going to start with a broken family found in Luke chapter 15. And if you, if you come from a broken family, maybe like me, my, my dad, mom, they got divorced and my dad's been divorced and married three times. And so some of you understand a broken family growing up. Some of you don't, but here's the truth. All of us come from a broken family. Adam and Eve were the first broken family. And there's a broken family in Luke 15 that we're going to see. And uh, the family's messed up. It's actually called the prodigal son parable. It shouldn't be called the prodigal son. It should be called the prodigal sons. Because one son is lost outside of the church, and the other one is lost inside of the church. If you didn't know that was possible, it is possible to go to church every single week to be theologically as straight as a gun barrel and still just as empty. You can know the scriptures but not know the spirit of the scriptures. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus didn't have a problem with, with screwed up people. The people that he had the, the largest issues with were the ones that knew the scriptures, but did not know the spirit of the scriptures. It's the older brother that grew up in the house his whole life, but did not know the demeanor or the disposition of the father. Settle down, dude. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to keep it together today, but I, I'm fired up this morning. I do believe that God wants us to be connected to the father. I think Luke 15 should be actually designated that this, the parable should be called the faithful, consistent father. Because he's gracious with the wild son that left, and he's gracious with the foolish son that stayed. He's a consistent father. And so here's my belief this morning is that fruitfulness in your, in your life, whether you're a CEO, you're a school teacher, stay-at-home dad or mom, you're a dog catcher, a police officer, a fireman, a mailman, whatever it is you do, I believe that God produces fruit as we spiritually get mature. I want you to remember this. Maturity is not based on size. True maturity is based on the ability to reproduce. So some people, well, I'm six feet tall. Well, if you don't have the ability to reproduce, you're not an adult yet. Does that make sense? Because you might have been like a freak athlete and born, you know, your parents are eight feet tall, and you were born at six two. Come on. (laughs) So size doesn't dictate maturity. The ability to reproduce does. And seasoned fruit, right, is, are trees that actually have the ability to, to reproduce more fruit. And so today, I want to talk to you about the process of becoming fruitful as we look at a family in Luke chapter 15. If you're ready to go, say, I'm ready. Luke 15. If you get bored this morning, you're a boring person. I'm not a boring preacher. And everyone said amen. Luke 15, verse, verse 11, very familiar story if you grew up in church. You can preach it a lot of different ways. I've never saw the story the way I'm going to share it with you today, but let's go. It says, then, this, uh, then he said, a certain man had two sons. How many? I'm going to read more than usual, but faster than usual, so stick with me. He says, uh, the younger of them said to his father, give me. Say it with me, give me. Notice this phrase, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. Not many days after that, the younger son gathered everything together. He loaded up his, uh, his Honda Civic, and he journeyed to Las Vegas. There he 
wasted his possessions at the Aria, at the craps table, and at the poker table. Prodigal living. But when he had spent all the money that he had, there arose a severe depression and famine in the land. He began to be in want. The stock market crashed. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now, side note, Jews did not have dealings with pigs. They were unclean. So for a young Jewish boy to be hanging out feeding pigs was an absolute big no-no. So the only job he can get is the job he shouldn't have. He's feeding pigs. He was so hungry that he actually was, he was actually lusting at the idea of filling his stomach with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. Verse 17, he actually came to himself, though he had this epiphany. How many of my dad's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I'm perishing here with hunger? I'm going to rise and go to my father. I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy. Say it with me. Worthy. To be called your son, make me your hired servant. Notice how many times servant and son is in this passage, by the way. And he arose and came to his father, and when he was still a great way off, his father, his father saw him. You'd only see something a great way off if you're looking for it. He saw him from a great way off, and he ran and he had compassion. By the way, Jew- Jewish patriarchs did not run. Running was a sign of uh, indignity. And so to run as a patriarch, as a father, was a big no-no as well. But he didn't care what people thought. He was excited that his son was home. So he ran to him, and he kissed him, and his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your, your son. And, and the father, like, come on, Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber put his finger on his lips and said, shh. Come on, you got to use your imagination sometimes. He said, bring out the best robe to his servants. Put a ring on his finger and sandals, comes tevas on his feet. Bring out the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to be merry. The older son was in the field, and when he came and drew near to the house, he heard, he heard uh, yummy, yummy and dancing uh, on the radio. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. And because he's been received safe and sound, your father has killed a fatted calf. The older brother was angry and would not go in. Therefore, he, his father came out and pleaded with him, met him where he was. So he answered and said to the father, lo, which you know you're fired up when you start a sentence with lo. Lo. <laughs> these many years I've been serving. I've been serving. Say it with me, serving. I have been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandments at any time. That's a lie. Can we agree? His name would be Jesus if that was true. I have never transgressed any of your commandments at any time, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as a son of yours comes home who's devoured your livelihood in Vegas with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. He said to him, son, you are always with me. Say this, with me. You're always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that I should be married and make glad. Your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. I want to talk to you this morning on uh, fruitful kids. Fruitful kids. And I do believe that everything that you produce in life is connected to your ability to be connected to God. All of the momentum as a dad, as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a daughter, as a wife, as a boss, or as an employee, I believe the greatest fruit in our life is connected 
to knowing who we are as God's son or daughter. Can we agree on that? Sounds generic. I'll explain a little bit more detailed here. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you, God, for the Super Bowl today. We just pray it'd be a fun day. But we just invite you, Lord, to do something special in our second service. Our very first 1130, we give it to you. We ask you that you would bless it. We ask you that you would speak to us. We lift up, God, even, Lord, uh, Vanessa Bryant and her family. God, all the, Laker in, the Lakers franchise, all those that are mourning the loss. And we ask that, Lord, you would comfort them. It says that you give us peace that transcends our understanding. I ask that they would have peace in this, this difficult time. I pray that you would lead them out of it. And I just pray that the entire family would come to, they don't know you, God, that they would come to know you in an amazing way. We pray blessing over this church and blessing over the Lakers. Jesus' name. Come on, someone said amen. Amen, amen. Someone say amen. amen. It's funny, as a kid, you have no idea what you're going to be like as a parent one day. I don't know if you've ever been there as a young philosopher in fifth grade telling your friends that when I grow up, I know what kind of dad I'm going to be. I'm never, my mom did this to me. I would never, when I get bigger, I will never treat my kids like that. Uh, when I'm a parent, I'm going to let my kids start driving when they're seven. Because we're We're ready. And we say things that are just drastic and absolute, and we, we have this mentality of what we're going to be like as a 30-year-old or as a 40-year-old and what we're going to be like when we're sitting down with our kids one day and our babies one day. And we have this kind of predisposed idea of what parenting will be like. And then the time comes, you actually have a kid, and that gets completely thrown out the window. And it's like no longer like you're pioneering this wise track of philosophy. It's like you're trying to survive and tread water. You have more than one kid. It's like drowning and someone throws you another baby. It's just you're surviving. It's what you're trying to do. And you have kids and you're just trying to make things happen. You have no idea what you're going to be like as a parent. I, I didn't know what I would be like. as a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a girl dad. Come on. I got two little girls and I love my girls. I had no idea what I would be like as a father. But um, to be honest, I'm actually more surprised at who my wife is as a mom than I am as a father. My wife is the sweetest person. She is the nicest, the kindest. She can trace her lineage back to Gabriel and Michael. Um, she's an angel. But we had two daughters, and, and it's crazy. They, she was like the perfect mom. She is the perfect mom, but it's crazy. We signed them up for sports. And I'm like, who are you? I, I can't tell you how many times from like five years of age on that I'm like, Rochelle, you can't talk to referees like that. We might get arrested. That is verbal assault, Rochelle. Sit down. I'm like, this is, come on, Rochelle, there's families here, okay? Like, she's getting fired up. Like, she's like, don't you call, that's a bad call, ref. How are you going to sleep with that call? Rochelle, people know us here. It's crazy you become a parent. You have no idea how much joy your kids bring you, especially when they do something that's awesome. Like, I love listening to my little Chloe pray. She's like the most profound little prayer person. Like, crazy. I'm like, you're special. I didn't pray that prayer until, like, I've never prayed that prayer. <laughs> 36. But it's funny that you get so much pleasure out of your kids. Great parents desire for their kids to go further. Great parents have an appetite for their kids to stand on their shoulders. Great parents actually have an appetite that their children's uh, floor would actually be their ceiling. 
in the heart of every great parent, it's a, there's an intrinsic desire that I want them to have more, know more, do more, go further, be better. Are you hearing me today? It's like, it's wired inside of our humanity that healthy parents, they want the best for their kids. I was thinking about this, that a, a great father wants their kids to be fruitful. I want them to make less bad decisions. I, I want them to make more good decisions. I, I want them to actually learn from my mistakes so they don't have to make their own. It's great parenting. And I thought, man, God has the same intrinsic desire. We see it here in Luke, Luke chapter 15 that he has two sons. The father has two sons. It's a type and a shadow of God's relationship with us. And the first son, is uh, he's blatantly rebellious. He, he comes to his dad one day, and we know the story. He goes, Dad, give me. Say it with me, give me. And I believe that the first, if you're taking notes, I got four points for you. Maybe a fifth for extra credit. First point today, though, is I actually believe that spiritual maturity, all of us are on a level playing field, that we come into this world born as takers. And our response to God, when we first come to God, you first have your first encounter with Jesus, is you kind of have this slot machine, give me. God, what do you, okay, I'll give you my life. I might even serve you. I might go to church occasionally. I might even give you a little money. But hey, what are you going to give me? Who am I going to marry? Come on, she better be pretty. What do you, what kind of job? Hey, God, I'll serve you. I might give you some of my life, but what, what's in it? What's going to be in it for me? Remember when you were a little kid, you're like, man, if my parents ever got sick, then I'd like give my life to God. Something bad ever happened, then I'd like, then I'd really get serious with God. I would give him something if he would give me something. And I believe that all of us are born into this world takers, but we are born again givers. And that's why some of you, you can be in church your entire life. Some of you have been in church forever, but you've, you've stunted your spiritual growth because you've never gotten out of the first dimension of maturity, which is just give me. Your prayers are rubbing a genie bottle every morning and going, God, do this and God, do that. God, God cares about our needs. But I want you to know that, that life is beyond just give me. I actually believe that just living give me following Jesus leads to all other types of unhealthy things and actually evils. We see here that even Judas, what does it say about Judas? Judas comes in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 26, and he comes to the religious leaders, and he says, hey, if I betray Jesus, what will you, what will you give me? Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 comes and says, hey, would you give me this power so that I could be seen, being awesome like you guys are being seen? Give me, say it with me, give me. Something so unhealthy when we just live a relationship with God that say, God, every morning, what are you going to give me? Hey, God, what are you going to, what's in it for me? What are we doing today? What, 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 do you, what do you want to do for me? God, I'm the center of the universe. It's my world. Everyone's living in it. They're all renting space for me. Give me. And I believe that give me, it always, it's, it, every one of us starts here. But I want you to know, and I'll be even honest, there's moments of our life that we, we almost get sidetracked. And we forget about how good God's been. And we almost retract to, like, young thinking. And I want you to know, there's nothing wrong with having an accident as a little kid when you're two years old. Occasionally, come on, you might wet the bed when you're a little kid. But you're still wetting the bed, come on, 35 years of age. It's like, this is no longer a maturity issue. This is something has gone wrong with parenting. And I think God's desire for our church is that we would be fruitful, but we'd have to graduate out of just a give me mentality. I think it goes beyond give me, and we see here in Luke 15, it starts off with give me in verse 12, and then verse 13, it says, use me. I think there's a pure version of coming to God and saying, God, use me, but I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about when we actually try to use other things 
for selfish reasons to be seen or to be significant. He wants to leverage all of the Father's resources to be seen, to be significant. And I actually believe that whenever you have a void in your life and you say, I'm not going to be happy, I am not going to be fulfilled, I'm not going to be enjoying life until I get blank. You can say things that are really good things. I'm not going to be happy until I get pregnant. I'm not going to be fulfilled until I get married. I'm not going to, I'm not until I get blank. Whenever you put a blank that's not God, you have formulated an idol that's actually, you're not using it, it's using you. And you don't realize that God wants to do something significant in your life, but it's not so that you can be seen. I remember early on in my walk with God, I'd see these great men and women of God, and I'm like, God, would you please use me like you're using them? And there was a part of me, I think, that my heart was in it for the right reason. But if I'm being honest, there was a part of me also, like Simon the Sorcerer, it's like, man, if I could do what they did, then I could be significant too. And I just want you to know that when we mature in our, in our walk with Jesus, we go from just wanting to take from him to wanting to something from him so that we can be seen by other people. That's the second stage is he wanted to use. He wanted to use something that would make him happy that wasn't God. So there's use me. And the third thing, and this is when you start realizing some spiritual maturity coming in your life, is like the son, he had this moment. It's found in uh, chapter 15. It says, it says in verse 17 that he came to himself, which means this. Number three, I believe the spiritual uh, maturity process goes from God give me to use me to search me. I don't know if you've ever had a moment that you're like, God, is, is there some stuff inside of me? Am I the problem in this marriage? Is there some stuff inside of me that's actually faulty of why my businesses keep going the same way? Why I keep getting fired for the same reasons? Why I keep leaving churches for the same reasons? Is the problem everybody else? Or is there something in me that needs to change? I've learned this, that God can't change everybody else, but he can change you if you let him. And it's wild how you give God permission to actually search you out. Psalms 139 says in verse 23 and 24, David prays, search me and know me. He says, try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any evil way in me. And if there is, lead me in the way of everlasting. I don't know about you, man, but I want the dysfunctional things in my life to die. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life defending why I'm dysfunctional. Well, I'm just an angry person. Is anger a state? Is it like being stuck in Bolivia? Sorry, I'm in a bad mood today. Oh, I didn't realize that moods were like a permanent location. Oh, you can't come because you're in Bolivia. I get it. You're in a bad mood. Listen, moods are moods. They're not the end-all state or condition. And some people stay in moods instead of moving out of that state. Search me. Hey, God, if I'm a little bit, man, if I'm a little bit off today, greedy today, selfish today, carnal today, God, would you search me and would you, would you know me? God wants to search us and he wants to know us. Can I get a good amen? But we can't do this if we keep focusing on other people. You got to let God focus on you. Search me. God, I, look, my, my, my wife, my husband's great, my, my business partner, whatever. But God, would you please, would you just do something in my life? And I think many of us are victims of other people around us instead of never taking ownership for what God wants to do inside of us. Say with me, search me. And it's wild because when you get past search me, 
He's a son, let's be honest. The son, son made a bad decision. He, he had a giving mentality. He blatantly turned his back on the father. He left. He goes to Vegas. He spends all of his money in Vegas. But here's the wild thing that I want to say about people that leave the church or leave the faith. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm not, I don't believe in God anymore. I used to, but I, I'm not a believer anymore. But I'm here today because you're making someone happier. Maybe you're exploring again. I want you to know, I think that the, tenac- the, the tendency of, of some people, like the younger son is, notice what he says. Very interesting. I've never seen this before. But it says this, that when he, when he came to himself, he searched himself. He goes, how many of my father's servants have bread enough to eat? I'm dying of hunger here. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, I've sinned against heaven in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy. Say it with me, no longer. For him to say no longer worthy to be your son insinuates that there was a moment of his life that he thought he was worthy. I want to make a very, very clean statement this morning. There is nothing that you or I have done to make us worthy to be a child of the Most High God. It is not your performance. It is not your church attendance. It's not your Bible reading plan. It's not your donations records. It's not, are you hearing me? It's not the community service hours. There is nothing you or I have done that is merited to be worthy to be called a son. And I want you to, I want to park on this just for a second because sometimes if you think you can earn it, you can also think that you can lose it. What's the difference? A high, make me a hired servant. Why does it say hired servant? Servants are servants because they're getting paid for something that they did. You know why we're sons? Because we don't get paid for what we did. We're not servants because of what we did. We're sons because of what he did. We're sons. Listen, we're sons because of what Jesus did. So, like, that's the thing is, like, you can talk yourself out of connecting with God because you think you didn't do enough. I'm no longer worthy to go to church. I'm no longer worthy to read my Bible. I'm no longer worthy to believe that God has a good plan for me. That is a servant's mentality. Servants only get paid when they work. One of my friends told me this story recently. He said, man, I have, I have a son. I love my son so much. And occasionally he'll text me. If he's got some friends with him that he wants to pay for their food. He's like, hey, Dad, will you help us out with this dinner tonight? I want, I want to show my friends a good time. And my, my friend is like the, just the nicest, most generous guy. So he's like, yes, son, you know, put on my card or whatever. And this guy will take care of his son's friend's meal, not because of the son earning it. He's not a servant. It's because it's his son. Are you hearing me today? And I think so many of us live in a religious bubble that we think, because listen, religion is mechanical, but Christianity is relational. The relationship is, I don't serve because I earn my sonship. I, I, I'm, I'm not a son because I serve. I'm not a son because I go to church. I'm not a son because I read my Bible. I'm not a daughter because I go to a small group. I'm not a son because I serve. I serve because I'm a... See the difference? And so many people, they think, man, well, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I'm no longer worthy. Newsflash, you never were. You were never worthy. God treated his son 2,000 years ago the way that you deserve to be treated. You know why he got whipped? You know why you got lacerated? Why he bled out? Why he, why he, they punctured his hands, they, they, they stabbed his side. He actually didn't, you know, you, you die by crucifixion by, by drowning in blood that's in your esophagus. It's, it's most, one of the most brutal ways to die. God took on the wrath of all of humanity 
so that 2,000 years later, he could treat your worst enemies the way that Jesus deserved to be treated. So that's why we're in favor of forgiving. Forgiveness means in, or forgiveness means for giving. For means in favor of. Forgiveness means in favor of giving. And I, I don't know if you ever had the conversation before, like, God, I'll forgive him, but I just I don't really like him very much. Anybody else? You ever argue with God theologically? You're like, God, I think it's okay to be angry. It says, be angry and do not sin. God's like, you really talking scripture with me? <laughs> Read the rest of the verse. I'm like, all right, don't let the sun go down in your anger. So I'm like, okay, I could be angry for a few hours then. Hey! <laughs> here's the deal, though, is that when you're in favor of giving, I have this re- realization that we forgive people because, here's the deal, write this down if you want, is because... The same grace we deserve is the same grace they deserve. Here's, here's the, big, the big hook to it. It's because we mistreated Jesus the same way that your enemies mistreated Jesus. So for, for God to pardon your mistakes and not pardon their mistakes would be a double standard. God has no double standards. So what do you know? Is that he comes back, he says, Father, I'm no longer worthy, no longer worthy to be your son. But notice the father does three things. He brings out a robe, and I'm sure you've heard this taught before, so I don't need to spend much time on this. He brings out a robe, he brings out a ring, and he brings out sandals. Three things about this that God wants to do for all of you that feel like you've lost your connection with the father. Number one, the robe throughout scripture always represents righteousness. Talks about the robe of righteousness. You know what righteousness is? It's putting you in right standing with God. So this son, who, not, who wasn't worthy to begin with, no longer worthy right now, he's a servant. He comes to his father barefoot with no robe and with no ring. Because guess what? Only sons had robes, rings, and shoes. And the father's first order of business was to tell the servants to give his son what belonged to a son. So the robe of righteousness, number one, God makes you right with him and enables you to live a life that's righteous. We don't, we don't get saved because of our right deeds but we are saved for some right deeds. Not saved by good works, but you are certainly saved for good works. I think it's weird when we're like, well, it's all grace, and like, I'm just going like, to keep being dysfunctional and keep getting high and keep living broken, and God just gives me this grace band-aid to empower my stupidity. Grace doesn't just forgive you. It gives you the strength to get out of it. It gives you the ability to stand up and say, I don't have to be an addict anymore. I don't have to live broken anymore. I don't have to stay dysfunctional anymore. Grace is not a band-aid you put over your life and go, man, I'm just going to be this way forever. Thank him for his grace. Grace is a super in, supernatural endowment of power that elevates you above the darkness of your life. So he says, I want you to put on the robe of righteousness because I'm going to make you right with me. And I'm going to give you a ring. And if you look at the book of Esther, it says that the signet ring, whatever the, the, the king sealed in the signet ring, could not be changed. Rings always represent authority. In, in the book of Genesis, Joseph was given a ring by Pharaoh himself. It was a signet ring. Rings represent authority. You know what the first thing you live without when you don't realize you're God's son? There is no authority in your life. There's two things that happen when you don't know you're a child of God. Is you live with no righteousness. And the other thing that you live without when you don't know you're God's son is you live with zero authority. So you're scared of everything. Who's met someone like this? 
You're scared of the virus. You're scared of the disease. You're scared of the fear. You're scared of this. You're scared of that. Everything freaks you out. You're scared of public school. You're scared of private school. You're scared of homeschool. You're scared of, you're scared, you're scared. It's like, come on, like, why are you afraid of everything? Because you have no authority. Listen to me, you are a child of God. I don't know if you read that passage, but I think he says something like, he that is in you, stronger, bigger, greater than he that is in the world. So why are you living with your head buried in the sand? Because you've lost your authority, son. Bring out the robe. He needs righteousness. Bring out the ring. He needs authority. How about this? Bring out shoes. Here's the interesting thing. I never realized this. I've, I've, I've studied shoes before in the Bible. Never seen this. Do you know that shoes in the scriptures represented rights? Represented rights. What do you mean rights? Like uh, in the book of uh, Ruth, when Boaz comes as a kinsman redeemer, type and shadow of Jesus, it says that he goes to the nearest kin. He says, hey, if you want a redeemer, redeemer. But if you don't, take off your shoe. She's going to hawk a loogie in your face. It's going to be, come on, it's going to be powerful. Read the Bible. It's pretty entertaining. But this is a crazy story. So he literally, this guy that doesn't want to redeem Ruth, he has to take his shoe off because shoes represented rights. He's saying, I no, I no longer have the rights to Ruth. I'm giving my rights to Boaz. That's why when Moses and Joshua met with God at the burning bush and when he had an encounter with the angel of the Lord's armies, he said, take your... Why? Because God said, if I'm going to use you, you have to give up your rights. You want God to use you? Then stop. Listen, look, in, in, in republics, we have rights. In the kingdom, we have responsibilities. We want rights. God wants to give us responsibilities. Sorry, I'm preaching better than you're responding. The screen's getting slain in the spirit behind me. I don't know what's going on in this room. The kingdom gives, gives, gives responsibility, but the world tries to give rights. So he says, I want to give you shoes because, listen, I'm giving you your rights as a son back. You forfeited your rights when you lost everything. But I'm going to send my son on the cross, and he's going to die for humanity so that you get your rights back as a son and as a daughter of God. Look, you might not like your, your biological parents, but good news, look, they might have, they, you, might, you might have surprised your mom and dad by coming into the world, but you did not surprise God. And you might have had a broken upbringing, but I got good news. God can fix broken upbringings. He can give you your right to be a daughter or a son of God again. So put on the robe. Put on the ring. Come on, bring his rights back. And notice this, and almost finished, is that he gets to this point that he says, make me. And I believe that when you get to the point in your life that you say, God, make me, come on, I, I, I don't feel worthy to be your son. Make me one of your servants. I feel like there's a humility in the phrase, make me. Like, God, I don't deserve anything, so just make me whatever you want. Ben can come up here. I'm almost finished this morning. I want you to know, I think that if you can get to a point in your walk with the Father that you say, God, would you make me a vessel fit for whatever you want to do? You know, great pianos, if they're not tuned, you can have the greatest pianist in the world hop on that thing, and you kind of have this thought, this thing should sound better than it sounds. And the truth is, it's not the ability of the pianist, it's the tune of the piano. And I feel like some of you, you're like, I don't know, man. Like, my life doesn't sound like what I thought it was going to sound. I'm living out a life in my 30s and my 40s or my 60s that I didn't envision in my 20s or my 30s. What's happened? I believe that when you get to the point, you say, God, search me. But beyond search me, I give you permission to make me whatever you want. You can make me whatever you want. 
want to make me more, more humble? I'm more humble. You want to make me more peaceful? Give me more peace. You want to make me more generous? Make me more generous. You want to make me more kind? I believe that when we get to a point in our life that we say, God, make me, things begin to change. Everyone said amen? So he comes to the, the older son and almost here is he goes, uh, he goes to the older son. The older son says, uh, I've never transgressed you ever at any time. So here's my conviction is that you can be lost walking away from God or you can be lost in the church every week. Going to church gauges your spiritual maturity like going to a sporting event gauges your athleticism. Can we agree? Like, like owning an oven makes you a baker like it doesn't, right? Being a good baker doesn't make you a good baker because you own an oven. I think good bakers own ovens, but I think owning an oven does not make you a good baker. And here's, here's what I, I want to just kind of land on t- today is, is, is the older son goes, God, you, you kind of ripped me off and he's belligerent, he's angry at the younger brother. Because here's what I've learned is that if you're in the house and you're not becoming more like the attitude of your father, you're actually getting more religious, not more Christian. And there's people that go to church week in and week out, and they can cite the letters of the text, but they have no idea the spirit of the father. And I love the older, the older brother teaches us something really powerful, is that the father has to tell him, he, he goes, look, the goal of life, son, he says it to him like this, he goes, he says, uh, I never transgressed. And then the father says to him, son, you are always, say it with me, with me. I want you to know that the greatest level of fruit that you'll ever produce is when you stay with God. He says, you're always with me. Why? Because when you're with God, everything he has access to, you have access to. Jack Hayford wrote a book years ago. It says the most important thing or something. It said, if you go after what's in God's heart, you'll always have access to what's in God's hands. Most Christians just want God to give me, give me, give me, give me, instead of know me. If you'll know God and touch his heart, you'll have access to all the great things that he'll give you with his hands. I don't want us to be a church that stays young and just give me or use me or search me. I want us to be a church that says, God, make me so I can live with you. I want to be in you and with you and for you I want to be fruitful and I don't know who I'm talking to today but I believe this is going to be a great season of fruitfulness as we stay connected to the vine John 15 says says as, as a vine cannot produce anything without being connected to the vine branches can't connect unless, unless they're attached to the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you're connected to me he goes on he says by this he says you didn't choose me I chose you John 15 16 I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains so that whatever you do and whatever you ask in my name, my Father will give you. By this, my Father is glorified that you go and you bear fruit. I believe the way that we honor God is by saying, God, I'm connected to you. Make me what you want to make me in this stage of my life so that I can bear fruit, fruit that remains. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.